to our scripture. We'll be reading from the book of Luke, chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. Jesus anointed by a sinful woman. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to table, or sorry, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say amongst themselves, who is this who, ever, who even forgives sin? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. All right. Thank you so much, Christina. Man, I love the shame, shameless recruiting there. I want to go hold a little Benjamin. Man, he's a cutie. Uh, hey, welcome, everybody. Good morning. Whether you're joining us here in person or online, we're glad that you could join us here at Current this morning. Uh, today, we're continuing our series, Encounters with Jesus, as we are moving from Luke chapter 6 and kind of the more teaching and abstract of Jesus' thoughts on the Sermon on, on the Plain that, we've been, that we had looked at a few weeks ago, to more in Luke chapter 6, the more relational and personal with these kind of encounters with Jesus. Last week, we saw the Roman centurion and his encounter with Christ and saw that life-transforming faith is, is not one of, of deservedness, but one of unworthiness. But that leaves us with some questions. Okay, what does that look like? What does that mean? Today, we're going to be looking at not one, but two encounters with Jesus. And these two people probably couldn't be further from each other when it comes to kind of the more social and uh, spiritual spectrums. Uh, one person we'll look at is just was very religious. We're talking super religious and devout. The other, anything but. And we see Jesus meeting them each where they were, and we see that it's quite shocking. Uh, we get a real beautiful picture here, a real challenging picture of what this life-transforming faith Jesus responds to and is looking to, to give and where we can meet him in that space. And before we jump in, I would just say, if you're here today and you don't follow Jesus, you don't identify as Christian, I would wonder if you'd especially be interested to know that it's actually with the non-religious person that Jesus especially draws near to here. And then for those of us who are followers of Jesus, you are, you are Christian, I would just say lean in a little bit too because what we also have here is a sober warning for falling into what can easily become a status quo type of a faith. Uh, it's really easy to succumb to that. So today we're going to look at what I'd like to call the insider and the outsider. So let me pray and then we'll, we'll, we'll jump in. Father, thank you so much for these precious little ones you've entrusted to us uh, over the pandemic and even, and even before. What, what gifts uh, they are. Lord, would you bless the families? 
the parents as they seek to raise them. And Lord, would you help us as a church uh, minister to them as well? Even from the earliest of days as we just hold them and cuddle them and, and start to pray over them and bless them in those ways. And also as they grow and, and start to ask questions and learn uh, uh, higher concepts and all that sort of things. Lord, would you help us each, whether we're in there directly serving as a teacher or aide or whatever it might be, or even just kind of coming to church and them just observing us. Lord, would you help us point them to Christ? Lord, pray for this next generation. Bless them even now as they're learning. And then, Father, with our time here to, today uh, in this space, Lord, we ask as ever for your Holy Spirit to understand your word because without your help, uh, we, we, we won't be touched in the ways that we, we, we long for this morning. So, Lord, would you have your way at this time? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to look at the insider, as we'll put it, and the outsider. So in verse 36, we are introduced to the insider, a man named Simon, a Pharisee, which is to say he was a religious leader, just this fanatic and, and, and devout God follower back in that day, a guy that everybody in that society would have thought, certainly this person has God's favor on them. Certainly this person is blessed by God. Uh, these Pharisees just took it to the next level. They didn't only just follow God's law. They added to God's law, figuring that, that that's how you really kind of leveled up in the faith, and they kind of put that on everybody else. That was just kind of their thing. And uh, for his part, this man, Simon, seemed relatively open-minded to Jesus, which wasn't a given with the Pharisee crowd. In fact, even by this far in Luke chapter 7 now, we've seen that the, the Pharisees have already crossed ways with Jesus several times. Simon, for his part, was at least open to having Jesus over for dialogue. Asked him over, invited him over to his house for a banquet, and, and uh, had him into his place, which in that honor-based of a society, that was kind of a big deal. It's a big deal for Simon to invite Jesus. It was a big deal for Jesus to say yes and to go. So that's the insider. The outsider we're introduced in, to in verse 37. Uh, she, we're told, uh, was a woman, and, and all we know of her is she's, quote-unquote, a sinner. Uh, almost certainly, we don't know for sure, that meant she was a prostitute. Uh, the only other bit of information we know is that she was from that town where Simon lived, which you do the math. I mean, back in first century Palestine, it would have meant she would have been an absolute pariah. Everybody would have looked at her thinking, if anything, she's not blessed by God. She doesn't have God's favor. If anything, she's cursed by him. This woman, regardless of what people thought of her in that day, uh, was incredibly brave, though. Uh, she took advantage of a social custom that said that you could go over to someone's house when they were holding banquets for, for other people and just kind of hang out in the dining room, provided you stayed along the walls, provided you didn't kind of interfere with the conversation. That was just a social norm back then. So she took advantage of that. She came in with an alabaster jar containing perfume, meaning to anoint, as we're, as we're told here in this text, Jesus and, and to pour it on his feet, which is to say it was really expensive all around. Perfume in that day was very expensive. And the alabaster jar on top of it was an expensive container. So it was just, this was a big deal. She came in while they were all, were, were told, reclining. Uh, of course, back then they didn't have like tables that they sat around with, with chairs. They propped themselves up on their left elbows and ate with their right hands as they kind of conversed with each other. And here's, here's the scene. We're told in verse 38, as she stood behind Jesus, uh, Jesus' feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. I mean, get this scene. I mean, she's incredibly courageous here. It's an incredibly moving scene. 
But it's also, let's be real, an incredibly awkward scene, right? Let's be real. I mean, here she was weeping, not just like a few tears, using her hair to wipe Jesus. And, and from all the details, it, it's pretty clear this was going on for a, a length of time. It wasn't just like real quick. and No, it's like there was some silence. There was just, it was just happening. All eyes on her. It was awkward. So much so that Simon, this Pharisee, began to wonder, like, why, why isn't Jesus doing anything in here? Like, why is he allowing this? Why isn't he recoiling? Why isn't he shooing her away? If he's a prophet, wouldn't he know? Maybe he's giving benefit of the doubt as he reasoned, like, okay, Jesus isn't from our part, so he probably doesn't recognize this woman as everybody else in this house right now does. But come on, it doesn't take a brain surgeon to understand, even if you're not from this area, who this woman is. Certainly he can't be a prophet. Certainly he can't be in touch with God if he's allowing this to happen. For she is, quote, a sinner. And it's Jesus who breaks the silence. I love this. In verse 40. Oh, Simon, I have something to tell you. And it's not hard to imagine Simon emotionally conflicted as he responds, tell me, teacher, I think. And Jesus launches into a short parable. That is a short story with a spiritual truth, a spiritual lesson. He gives us this parable that he wants Simon, he wants the readers today to, to take to heart. It says in verse 41, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. One denarius back in that day was equal to one day's wages of, of, of labor, uh, which is to say, and these are approximates, but approximations, but that one owed a year and a half's worth about of wages, the other about a month and a half's worth. Neither of them, Jesus goes on, had the money to pay the moneylender back, so he forgave the debts of both of them. Now, Simon, Jesus asks, which of them will love him more? I love Simon's reply here. It's so real. Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. And Jesus very calmly says, you've judged correctly. So here we see Simon had just been judging Jesus' ability to understand the human heart, saying, how could he not know this woman's a sinner? And yet the tables are turned real quickly and Jesus actually laid bare his own heart. And with this parable, he wanted to teach him, especially the religious, the faithful, this thought that all are sinners. I mean, that has to be the low-hanging fruit thought from this parable. All are sinners. And Simon, you religious person, you, you who've followed God and you've done it in this way and that way, the minute you start to point your finger at this other gal is the minute you need to understand that you yourself is also sinful. Because all are sinful. Now, what does it mean to be a sinner? What does it mean to be sinful? Because, I, I, you know, I think in our times, in our culture, it has a lot of cultural baggage. Right? We use that word. What does it mean? We can use it in any sort of number of ways to marginalize and objectify people. People cringe when that word's used, and rightfully so if it's used in such a way. By the way, Simon was using it in that way when he said, this woman's a sinner. Just kind of point it. You know, it's a way for people when they use it, use these words in this way to kind of say, well, I'm, I have moral and spiritual high ground here and you are below me, or whatever it might be. But this understanding of sin is just flat out wrong. And the fact of the matter is, the minute we start to use sin or sinner in this way is the minute we find that it's a weapon that's going to recoil right back on us. Because Jesus is making really clear here, and the scriptures all throughout make very clear, that all are sinners. Not just some, not just a few, and not just those, but all are sinners. 
Jesus with this woman does not say, you know what, you're actually not very sinful. Okay, it's fine, no, no big deal. No, he, he affirms that there are many sins that she has. But his bigger point is with Simon. He says, Simon, don't you think about her in that way without considering the fact that you yourself are sinful. Clearly, Jesus had a working understanding far deeper of sin than what Simon had himself. And probably a lot of us today have as well. Because when it comes to this woman back then, or if, even if you think about kind of the equivalent today, we could probably reason that, okay, it makes sense that Jesus would say or imply that she was a woman who was sinful and in need of God's salvation. Okay. Where we might have trouble understanding, though, even back then and probably even today, is like, well, how could Jesus basically talk in a similar way with Simon? You know, this insider, this religious devout guy, how is he a sinner in need of salvation? Here's what we need to understand. Sin at its root is putting something or someone in place of God for our salvation. Sin at its root is looking to ourselves as kind of Lord and Savior, looking, putting ourselves in the place of God. And one way to do that, like this woman, to put it in kind of scriptural terms, is to, terms, is to break the moral laws that God gives us. So for instance, like, like this woman, or what we can do in this, in this regard, is to look for salvation or our ultimate purpose, meaning, worth, in things like money, sex, power, status, those sorts of things. But another way that we can go about this is the more religious way, we might say, where we find ourselves to be Lord and Savior in our own good works or in our moral efforts. And when we do that, Jesus is saying it's, it's essentially the same thing. We're finding our significance, our ultimate security in our own selves, in our own right, apart from God. And when we do this, I don't know if anybody here as a Christian has ever experienced this. When we do this, what ends up happening is, well, God, we come to him in prayer. I've been doing my thing. Why aren't you showing up? Why aren't you helping me? It can become one of those things where we're living for him really to kind of bless us or answer our prayers a certain way. But what's happened is we've become our own Lord and Savior, functionally speaking, uh, not putting God in that place. Jesus is saying here, all are sinners. And what he's especially doing, though, as he's talking, uh, making this point, is he's talking to the religious. He's pointing this out to Simon. In fact, he presses it further. He turns now to the woman, but still addresses Simon and says, do you see this woman, Simon? Verse 44. I came into your house, you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You, Simon, did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured out perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. I love that, by the way, real quickly. This woman was not a pawn to Jesus to make a lesson just to Simon. He pauses and says, all right, I, hold on that thought, Simon. Lady, your sins are forgiven. Focuses in on her. The other guests begin to say among themselves, who is this that even forgives sins? Jesus still locked on with this woman. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is absolutely shocking. Uh, to consider. Jesus has said, essentially, all are sinners. But here's what we see in this interaction. With both cases, by the way, is that Jesus meets you and me where we meet him. He will meet us where we meet him. With this woman, this outsider, it is shocking that she showed up there, right? 
She showed up at this banquet. The minute she did that, everybody was looking at her. Everybody was drawing their conclusions. The whispers were, were happening and all that sort of thing. She, it was shocking that she busted out really expensive perfume. It was shocking that she was weeping. The whole scene, it was really shocking. But none of that compared to what was truly shocking. And that is Jesus went on to say, your sins are forgiven. I mean, here was a woman whom everybody in the society pegged as a sinner. And by the way, she herself acknowledged that she had a past that she was not proud of, that was not good. How do we know that? Well, that's, of course, what all the tears were about. That's what she was going through. She was weeping and washing his feet. All of that was coming to bear. And you know what? She was going to, she had come to the place in her mind and her spirit that she she had to get to Jesus. She had to get to Jesus, no matter the cost. Cost her a lot, but the perfume, that was just her idea. No one told her to do that. Just, that's going to cost her a lot, but she wanted to. Cost her a lot in terms of what people were going to think about her in the moment, the next few days and weeks and forever on. And it cost her a lot going to Jesus, not knowing how he would respond. Jesus could have sent her away, but in, but in a real way here, Jesus forgave her. And in the face of all these religious people questioning him, questioning her, he says, your sins are forgiven. And he really kind of like presses in further, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Jesus met her, the sinful woman, in her broken past, loving her deeply, willingly, lovingly, graciously. And he'd meet you and me there too, if we'd meet him there. Simon, on the other hand, in having Jesus over, thought he was doing Jesus the favor, Right? He thought, he thought before God, he was set. He had it all figured out. He's, he was in tight, tight with God because he had been doing all the things that he'd been doing. But he'd been looking ultimately to himself as Lord and Savior, as his own Lord and Savior. And what Jesus exposed to him with this short little parable is that ultimately Simon was self-satisfied. Wasn't looking to God for his satisfaction. And at the end of the day, while the woman went home having a life-altering, in fact, eternal-altering interaction encounter with Jesus, Simon went home with, we don't know, anything happening, probably nothing changing. And there's a very sober warning there for you and me. Jesus will meet you and me where we meet him. It seems to me, as I was thinking about it this week, it seems to me that the difference between these two people and their encounters with Jesus and their faith was hers was a desperate faith and his was a smug faith, right? Hers was a desperate faith. Hers was, I got to get to Jesus. I need Jesus. He is what matters. His was a smug faith. His was, I'm doing my thing. I've got it on lock. God's going to take care of me. I, me. Hers was a desperate faith. And I think what this text is challenging us is asking, where's our faith? You know, brothers and sisters in Christ, if I were to ask you, like right now, in this season of your life, where would you put yourself on that spectrum? Would you put yourself more on the desperate side of faith or more the smug side of the faith. Uh, my dad had a mentor, a pastor named Dick Alverson, whom I've actually learned a lot through my dad from over the years. Uh, a guy who used to say, uh, comparing the sinfulness between two people is like comparing the circumference size of two gnats. Comparing the sinfulness of two people is like comparing the circumference size of two gnats. Like theoretically, it's possible. You could like work it out, get a microscope. I don't know how you do that, but you could theoretically figure it out. The difference. But really, no, you can't. It, it doesn't make hardly any difference whatsoever. I mean, that's a well-seasoned, many-decade, faithful, living pastor who's just like, but we, we're so quick to compare and think we've got, or look down at the other. It's like, 
the reality is we're all sinful, and Jesus will meet us where we are. We're all this woman. Even if you're Simon the Pharisee, if you're a pastor standing on, on the stage, we are this woman desperately in need of Jesus. But what does that look like? Okay, because I don't think the application point is, hey, during the final song, I want everybody to get out your hair, wet, wet some feet. You know, it's like, that's not what we're talking about. So what does, it, what does this mean? What does this look like? What is the heart posture? I've shared this uh, before, but I love uh, my interactions with this uh, gentleman that I've gotten to know down the years over at uh, current HQ, our, our office space over there, uh, that a church has allowed us to rent from. Uh, one of their elders I'll run into from time to time. He's kind of a handyman. He does a bunch of stuff. He's just constantly faithfully serving over there. But he's ex exposed to me that, like, you know, I have a certain kind of pattern in my small talk. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, we all do. It's like I'll ask people, hey, how are you doing? And normally you hear, you know, fine, good, busy, whatever the case might be. But with him, he always answers, how are you doing? Oh, you know, better than I deserve. And always catches me a little off guard. He's better than I deserve. Now, this guy's a wonderful guy. I've gotten to know some of his story. He's fostered two kids out of an incredibly hard, challenging uh, background, uh, teenagers who he, whom he eventually adopted. He is, uh, you know, incredibly active in the community and in the church. He's a chaplain of the Sunnyvale uh, Police and Fire Departments. He's the kind of guy who will just stop whatever he's doing and just help whomever, just kind of at the, at the drop of a dime. He's the kind of guy who's like, he's incredibly gentle and kind, but you could tell if you ever needed to, he could get fierce to protect someone. That, that, that's the kind of guy, and yet, whenever, you, whenever I ask him, how are you doing, he'll respond, better than I deserve. And you know what? It never comes across as canned or forced. It's almost as if, actually, when he says that, he's reminding himself, better than I deserve. I think that's what we're talking about here, this heart posture of, of like this woman, we need Jesus for Jesus, and we're just walking by the grace of God. He's just so kind to us. We're so undeserving, so unworthy, but he, 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 he brings us to this place where we can be accepted by himself. And you know, you know, when hard times hit, so for instance, this gal, she's going through hard times. She'd had a hard past. She was sinful. Jesus affirms that. Her many sins are forgiven. She, he affirms those sins, even as he forgives her and gives her grace. She's coming out of hard times of her own doing. Sometimes we're coming out of hard times of our own doing, which, which is not fun or good. But, and sometimes we're coming out of hard times just externally. But sometimes those hard times, regardless of what they are, actually, and we talked a little bit about this last week, can be a gift in the sense that they remind us where we truly, ultimately, always are, and that is in the place of desperation for God. That we don't deserve him. But he graciously loves us. If we'll meet him there. So we're all like this woman. We need to learn from her. Really, the gospel, as we've said in the past few times, is we are all more sinful than we ever dared imagine. But we are also more loved than we ever dared hope. This week, I was reminded of a phrase that Paul writes to his young protege, Timothy, a pastor that he was kind of pouring into, mentoring over the years. Uh, this is found in 1 Timothy, uh, where he's writing to him, and he says this very uh, interesting phrase that uh, kind of took on new light in light of my study this week. He said in 1 Timothy 1.15, here's a trustworthy saying, Timothy, that deserves full acceptance. Christ, uh, excuse me, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Okay, that's what we've been talking about. Of whom, he adds, I am the worst. It struck me this week that he writes it in the present tense. Paul didn't say, hey, this is a trustworthy statement, uh, a saying, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I was the worst. Now, if you know Paul's history, uh, you, 
you could see why he may have been tempted to write it. I was the worst, or he could have written it. I was the worst. Part of his story was before his, his own encounter with Jesus. You can read about this on the, uh, in uh, Acts chapter 9. It's called the, On the Road to Damascus, where Jesus kind of experienced an encounter with the risen Lord. Before that, Paul, then Saul, was going around, quote, be- breathing murderous threats, putting Christians in prison, and, and actually killing them. And he was doing a very good job of that, so he thought, and doing that all out of his zeal for following God, trying to stamp out this new sect of, of Christianity. But in Acts 9, on the road to Damascus, with his counter in Jesus, all that changed in a moment. He realized, oh my goodness, I've not only been doing horrible things, I've been doing like the worst things imaginable. That's his past. But speed forward to this point in which he writes to this Timothy these words, and he had had a complete 180. Timothy had, excuse me, Paul had lived a life where he was just going around and just 24-7 just living sacrificially, selflessly for the care and love of other people. Starting churches, establishing leaders, enduring persecution, floggings, near-death experiences repeatedly, dealing with hypercritical people of his ministry, all these sorts of things over and over again. Eventually he'd, he'd pass away, be killed, executed for all of it. And yet still in this season of his life, he says, here's a trustworthy saying, Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Do you see now why that's interesting? He didn't say I was the worst. I am the worst. How can that be? Paul understood, like we need to understand, that he was like this gal who came with her desperate faith to Jesus, wiping his feet with her tears and perfume. Paul realized that even when he had become just an incredibly devout follower, just at a real heart level, not just like a superficial level, just following Jesus. How can we do this? Well, it's it's remembering that, you know, at the end of the day, I've been talking about the insider and the outsider. Actually, the gospel is we were all outsiders, all of us outsiders. And yet Jesus came into this world to die on the cross, to be cast out in order to bring us in with God. And if he has done that, You know what? This gal who came and was wiping his feet with perfume didn't even realize what I just shared with you. That that is the fullness extent of God's love, that he would send his son to die on the cross for your sins and mine and for hers. Without even realizing that, she had this response. How much more ought we have this response of love for the gratitude and praise of Jesus, who he is and what he's done for us? You know what, it seems to me, if, if you find yourself on that spectrum more on the smug side of faith, which I'll be real, I, I find myself there. <laughs> when you find yourself more on the smug side, or maybe you f- sense that you might be, remember, Jesus meets you where you are. Which means you can take even that thought, if you really genuinely like want that not to be the case, you can take that thought to the Lord. Lord, I feel like I may be coming to you in a smug way, and I don't want to. I want to come to you more like this woman. I want to come to you with this thought that I don't deserve your love and care, but I receive it fully and I give you thanks and praise for all of it. You can bring that to him. If you're a follower of Jesus and you feel like you're more on the smug side of it, you can think about ways in which you can come to the Lord because he'll meet you where you are. You know, one thought, point of application, I think it's really important for Christians to have the practice of confession in prayer. Uh, when was the last time, if you're a follower of Jesus, that you've practiced confession in prayer? Uh, David, where are you seeing that in the text? Well, it's not directly in the text, but 
almost certainly this woman, when she was coming with her tears, had her sins on mind. Why would she be coming the way she was coming? And Jesus acknowledged that. Her many sins are forgiven. It means we need to come to him with these sins in mind, heart before him in confession that he is ready and willing to forgive. If you've never done this before, you can go on a prayer walk. Keep your eyes open, by the way, and just walk around silently, just like saying, Lord, hey, I, forgive me for this and that. Whatever comes to mind. You can ask the Holy Spirit, hey, you know, Lord, can you open, can you open my eyes to different ways where I, I'm falling short? Because I know I'm desperate for you. I know I'm sinful. You know, you could find a quiet place in your home or whatever it might be. You know, one practice you can do is, is just to, like, as you're in prayer, you can kind of go through your relationships, you know, with, you, with those who are close to you your spouse, with your, your boss, your roommate, your coworker, whatever it might be, and just think through ways in which you might be falling short in that relationship. Here's a fun exercise. Read uh, 1 Corinthians 13. It's, it's the most famously read at weddings. It's the beautiful chapter on love. And use that as a way of measuring how much we don't love the way we ought to love. You know, you could use that as a, as a, as a helpful tool to be like, Lord, I haven't been as patient or kind or giving the benefit of the doubt here or there. And if your mind wanders, or when it does, to the fault that your boss or coworker or spouse or roommate, whomever, and what they're bringing to it, remember that that's where the Lord met Simon. Take that to him as well. Remember that we are all sinners. It's not looking to what sin they bring, but looking to ours and confessing that, asking the Lord to help us all that. And some of you are here today, you aren't Christian, you, you might be hearing for the first time, or at least really truly hearing for the first time, that God does see your sins. He does see your sins. He sees, sees mine. He sees them just as well if, as, as we do, if not more so, actually more so. And yet he loves us. He loves you and wants to receive you. And that's the promise of the gospel, that he will receive you if you'd receive him. He died on the cross to bring you into a relationship with himself, to bring eternity into your life. And you can receive him today. The scriptures say to all who receive him, to all who believe on his name, he will give the right to become children of God. You can receive him even now through prayer, saying, Lord, I want to receive what you did for me on the cross. I confess that I do look to other things, other people, other ways for my salvation. I want to turn to you. And you know what, friends, all of us, I love that at the end of the day, how do we meet the Lord? Where do we meet the Lord? It's by faith. You know, Jesus commended the fact that this gal went through the motions, did all these wonderful things out of love, but they were an expression of her faith. So we just ask ourselves, Lord, how can we just respond to you for who you are? And the promise is wherever we are, wherever we are, you will meet us there. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this beautiful picture of this, this gal who so courageously approached you out of the desperate faith that really all of us ought to have. She did so without even understanding the full implications of the cross. And Lord, we, we know more fully that this forgiveness that you offer so freely to her and to us cost you everything. You were cast out. You became the outsider that we could become the insider. So, we, so Lord, we say thank you. And if there's anybody here today who wants to receive the Lord, I, give you, I want to give you the opportunity to, to, to pray that prayer. Jesus, I want to receive you. Ask for your forgiveness. I want to follow you. Make you my Lord and Savior. And the Father, I want to pray uh, and ask for forgiveness for how easily it is for many of us who are followers of you to, to, to become smug in our faith or for it to become status quo 
And how real easy it is for us to look at others and just kind of think of ourselves as this or that when really we're like the woman. But what a beautiful picture of her reaching out and receiving the love of Jesus. Lord, would that be the heart posture we have in this song and into our weeks? We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.